0: Welcome to the ESPR podcast Inside Conflict with Moritz Ehrmann. So in the first episode of our ESPR podcast series Inside Conflict, we are going to discuss the conflict in Sudan. And we will try to go as deep as possible into the topic. So over the past decades since Sudan's independence, there have only been brief periods of relative stability. Sustained resistance of different insurgency groups, as well as the eventual independence of the South, were a result of this. After the fall of Sudan's longtime dictator Omar al-Bashir, the so-called Juba process was started with most of the insurgency groups in the country. And yet, this process still presents many challenges. While the revolution that ousted al-Bashir apparently only led the country into a different kind of instability, with severe socio-economic and political pressures seeming to once again threaten Sudan's stability. And, of course, the re- recent turbulent uh, developments uh, in Khartoum are a good example of this. And I'm here with uh, our two experts, uh, Mrs. Manar Asrak uh, from the Sudanese uh, diaspora in Vienna, and a known insider in Sudanese politics. Welcome and thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And uh, of course, I'm also here with our uh, own uh, uh, in-house expert, our head of uh, research, uh, Jan Pospisil, who uh, is also an expert on peace processes. Thanks for being here.
2: Hi, good to be here.
0: So as our second question, let us discuss the question of peace processes, including the Juba peace process. Since Sudan's independence in 1956, the country has seen numerous civil wars, which were interrupted only briefly by relatively peaceful periods. After increasing pressure by Islamist group, then-President Jafar Nimeri introduced Sharia law in the whole country in September 1983 triggering a decade-long civil war in Sudan's south that ended with the split of South Sudan in 2011. Another region of consistent conflict has been Darfur, where a number of armed organizations have challenged central power in Al Khartoum for decades before a violent civil war broke out in 2003. Several peace initiatives have been initiated to establish a peaceful solution to Sudan's conflict, the last of which, the so-called Juba process, after the end of Bashir's reign, uh, brought together over a dozen armed groups from the whole country. Let us start looking back at uh, what kind of peace processes uh, did take place during um, the regime of uh, al-Bashir. and um, yeah, what was the strategy uh, in that regard? What was the peace strategy of the of the Bashir uh, regime? And uh, perhaps also asking ourselves why did none of this uh, uh, produce a, a, a sustainable uh, result? This might be uh, our our first question. Uh, Manar, do you want to start? Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, Al Bashir has in his uh, <laughs> regime. So I forty seven peace agreements none of it <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's quite a number <laughs>
1: yes that is a quite that is a quite a number and uh, with a very bad experience of implementation bashir had uh, the strategy of Bashir for peace is no peace at uh, bashir uh, used to fraction the the group of resistance uh, to replace them by al- create, uh, creation of alternatives uh, uh, by bribe with uh, like uh, power or money and many stuff like that you know the outcome of the comprehensive peace of for of, uh, of the south of Sudan ended with the uh, separation and um, for the current Juba process There is no Al-Bashir, yes, this is true, but people have very bad experience of the uh, the implementation on the ground, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, This is one of the problems right now, uh, for example. But as I said, um, Al-Bashir has no will for peace at all, and he never had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why we are here now.
0: Mm Yeah, this is, of course, uh, a recipe for failure. Um, Jan, what would you add?
2: I think, indeed, the main strategy of Bashir was always a divide-and-rule tactic. Mm -hmm. Um, And this divide-and-rule tactic was, for example, the South, since basically the late 80s, um, the funding of splits within the SPLM. he called this like, it was kind of weird, they called this the Peace From Within campaign to strike separate deals with SPLAB splits and signing agreements with them, but funding them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, he. His, his major kind of success, and here is where the problem of the international community's approaches come in, is that he was, be, he was able to split between the South Sudan negotiations and the Darfur negotiations and other parts of the country very successfully during the 2000s. So the, the, the then comprehensive peace agreement was just with the South, while at the same time, a very bloody civil war that some call genocide was going on at the same time. Um, while he was striking a deal with, with the SPLM. Which is, which is kind of paradox if you think about that. Um, and it was um, pretty clearly the goal of the Bashir regime to kind of, and this was a bit like an incentive why the deal with the South was struck, um, to at the same time deal with the four really separately. A second issue was, and here also like the problems of international peace-building approaches come in, or rather peace mediation approaches, that all efforts, basically all efforts, of, the, of these, these peace agreements during the Bashir er, area um, relied on, on rather crude power sharing formula. Mm. Um, partly not well negotiated, because like, the two main approaches for the four, Abuya in 2006 and the Doha peace agreement in 2011, basically failed from the outset, so were never implemented because they, they were just bound to fail. And the problem with the chuba peace process now, and this is what we are facing, it's relying on the very same principles of a power sharing, bringing groups in, giving them positions in the government, but without basically a broader vision of what this actually would entail and should entail. So calling these agreements comprehensive is, is quite a stretch. To be fair, the comprehensive element of the, the, the comprehensive peace agreement the CPA with the South was more or less the perspective of a referendum and the split, which then eventually happened. But it didn't really entail much beyond that in terms of like econo- economy, root causes and all these kinds of elements.
0: Thank you. Um, yeah, this is a lot of problems, of course, that happened uh, during these past uh, many, many efforts uh, trying to bring peace to uh, the many conflicts in, in, in Sudan. Um, so, what about the so-called uh, Juba process? So, the process that uh, took shape after the fall of uh, Al Al-Bashir, Bashir's uh, regime. So, who is part of that? Um, who is supporting it? Um, and in particular, who? Uh, what is the role of South Sudan as the as the official mediator? And of course, also. Uh, who are the holdout groups Um, and why do they not sign the the peace agreement? Um, Jan, maybe if you want to have a go.
2: Well, it's a lot of of questions about this process. I mean, the the main interesting feature from the outset is that the Chuba peace process is different from approaches before because it tries to integrate all regions of the Sudan. So it is is, uh, organized in several regional tracks, five in total. Um, with a foot track with a track of the so-called New South in, in the Nugel Mountains with the east and the north center addressed separately. Which is led also to criticism if you can do that. In the end, it is now it has now been signed by um, so if I recall correctly, 13 groups that have in in, in, in exchange um, um, reshaped in a way the transitional landscape in terms of positions and all these. These, these elements, the power-sharing elements, in the transitional government in Sudan, also down to the state level. Um, Mini Minawi, one of the, the head of, one of the splinter groups of the SLM, is now governor for the four, in uh, accordance with the agreement and implementation of the agreement. So, positions are there. Um, but I mean, the, the question is that, what is actually then the long-term perspective in this? Because What this agreement isn't, definitely, it is not inclusive. So it has been highly particular for the groups negotiating. If you want to be cynical, the main deadlines came from the hotels in Juba when uh, they at, at some point then demanded that their bills are going to be paid. Otherwise, the delegates would be locked out of their rooms. Um then the agreements came, otherwise they would have negotiated for months and months longer, probably. <laughs> so there is this tells you a bit about the, the, the kind of spirit and effort that was behind that. It. It's a very pragmatic agreement. Yes. Every, everybody's kind of happy to have it. Um, it is a major success um, for South Sudan becoming this role whereby of, 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 of get of, of negotiating this on behalf of Igot being the official mediator on behalf of IGOT. But at the same time, of course, there is contestation about the South Sudanese Mediation Commission with the head of the Mediation Commission and Gadluak, somebody who has known well-established links with Bashir, he basically grew up with Bashir as a person. So it's in a way a paradox situation that now the chief mediator was actually somebody who was very, very close to Bashir and the old regime in Sudan. Um, this is a problem for some of the holdout groups, particularly for the SLM up who are not collaborating with the Subsidiary Mediation Commission for this reason. Um, but there is, of course, the issue now, and we might talk about the holdout groups later more, that the two holdout groups, the SPLM North um, under the command of, of Abdelaziz al and the SLM-A under command of Abdul Wahid Al-Nur are the two military, militarily on the ground strongest groups by far. Um, so these two have not signed and this presents um, a particular challenge to the implementation, of course.
1: Uh, if I may add something in this regard, uh, I, uh, um, the Juba peace process was a Huge surprise, surprise for the Sudanese nation after the fall, uh, downfall of al Bashir because nobody expected this anyway anymore. Uh, you know, uh, the regime is gone. Let us sit all of the uh, all of together, armed group, politician, uh, parties, uh, everybody, and uh, start to rebuild a new nation and a new country. And uh, then, as uh, I said, that was a, the surprise, that comes the surprise of the peace uh, uh, process in Juba. One of the, uh, of the, of the, of the main reason why, also uh, in, the, in the wide na- nation of the, uh, Sudan, there is no really uh, acceptance of the peace process in Juba because not only the Nubish, Nubish, uh, negotiator is uh, the mediator is a son, practically the son of Al-Bashir. One of also the negotiator is the one who is uh, uh, responsible or accused of genocide in Darfur, uh, Mr. Tagalog, you know. And uh, this combination with also many fractions of armed groups that nobody heard of them before uh, uh, remind the people of the same procedure what used to be done at the time of, of, of when uh, al-Bashir was uh, in, in, in power. And uh, also, as Jan said, you cannot ignore the two big, arm, important uh, armed groups that really exist on the ground, and Hilo and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Abdel Wahid, and especially Abdel Wahid. Uh, you can't just ignore Abdel Wahid.
0: <laughs> you can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's never a good idea to, to, to ignore the, the militarily most strong uh, armed groups in a peace process, of course. That's, that, uh, that would create uh, challenges. Yes, uh, Jan, please.
2: I mean, to be, to be fair, um, also to the international supporters and the, the mediators, uh, they're not ignored. Um, of course, they want to bring them in, but uh, the obstacles. That these two and and the problems these two groups raise are not adequately addressed. And I think this is an issue that everybody has kind of to face. Um, It is not a viable strategy for the international community and also now for the UN uh, transitional mission, UNITAMS, to just like almost demand these two groups to join. Um, there need to be certain conditions set, and there is also a question why everything or why the Jubal peace process needs to be the only game in town, or if there aren't perhaps more inclusive approaches to how peace process could work. So this is, I think, the major issue. They are of course not ignored, but uh, just like uh, demanding that they should be that they should now join uh, is perhaps not the most viable strategy.
0: Yeah, this sounds all all very logical, so um, you already sort of uh, put the finger on some of the challenges that this uh, ongoing uh, peace process in Juba uh, is facing, and there's quite a few of them, of course. Um, So, uh, in extension, how would you look at possible uh, scenarios where these uh, challenges are addressed, or, or how could things be made uh, better to, uh, to to address them what what's what's your opinion Manab?
1: my opinion in regards to the peace uh, process in Juba especially in regards to the East region of Sudan the peace process become like a ticking time bomb for a civil war in the East region of Sudan and it could be reality within very 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 short time you know. Uh, the paradox of the story uh, is that there was no, no, none whatsoever, a civil war or like armed conflict in the east, uh, east region of Sudan. It was just for a period of time in the 90s, you know, for maybe a couple of years, one, two years and not in the same uh, extent of uh, like in the conflict in that you know. Now the East region is on the brink of a civil war and ethnic cleansing, you know, because of Juba peace process, you know, because of lack of transparency, because of the favoritism, to favorite some parts, some parts because of the also um, Because of the representation of the East Region itself, you know, and also the involvement of neighbor countries, um, and uh, international and and also and international and regional also uh, actors, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we have a very tough time. We have a very really pretty tough time now in the East of of, of Sudan. Lack of security and. Uh, uh, hate speech and uh, all this kind of stuff and ethnic uh, prejudice and this is very, 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 very dangerous and we we experience this in Darfur and unfortunately uh, the response of the government is confusing sometimes, uh, is uh, not adequate to the, the problem and uh, it, it's, it's, for me, this is one of the major challenge, challenges and, and issues in the uh, Juba peace process. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So it really doesn't sound very easy, so uh, Jan, what would you think, what, what could be done better, what should be done better in, uh, in addressing all these challenges within, or as you suggested, maybe without, uh, outside of the, of the uh, Juba peace process?
2: I mean, I think it's particularly two things, and it's not necessarily outside of the Chuba peace process, but I guess the first element, and this is what Manar mentioned already, um, I think there needs to be the feeling that whatever peace process is there leads to more everyday security on the ground. And at the moment, we see the exact opposite with exactly. the Chuba peace process leading to more everyday insecurity on the ground. This, if this is not going to be addressed adequately, this thing will fall apart. I have no whatever doubt. This is, uh, how to do it is, of course, very challenging. It concerns several regions. The protests in the East were very substantial. We have huge issues in Khartoum. The situation in, especially also in the forest, is, is 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 not stable at all. So these things need to be addressed. And I think there is a role also for international support to, to help here. The second element is that what we currently experience is a mistake that has been done often before in peace processes and that's the idea of especially the international community to control a process instead of letting a process flow Um, everybody's kind of concerned that ah the process is going to fall apart what we're going to do like keeping everything kind of together and trying to exert control where there can't be any control Um, Paradoxically, what I would see here is the need for more risk-taking, which sounds perhaps totally absurd in the current situation, but actually there might, be more, there might be more out there than just this particular agreement and just safeguarding this particular agreement. And at the moment, we see with several influential actors that everything outside of this agreement is, is seen as a threat. But perhaps there's chances there as well um, to have like a process that should be more inclusive in more concrete terms. The international debate on peace processes since years uh, emphasizes inclusivity as the main kind of, of component of a successful process. Sorry to say, but the Chuba peace process is the exact opposite of that. It's a very exclusive, very elitist kind of agreement. So, of course, there has to be more than that.
0: Subscribe to our podcast or visit the website insideconflict.com. For more information about the work of the ESPR, visit aspr.ac.at Until next time.